2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2 tonight. Tonight I want to talk about or share just a few, say some lessons from Elijah tonight, okay? Some lessons from Elijah, just a couple of thoughts that we're going to have about him. And see if we can learn something that will encourage us, help us, and strengthen us along the way. 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. We're going to start reading there. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. 
The sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee. For the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. He said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou not the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they two went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. It came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. They came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Father, we come to you. We ask that you just speak to us today and that you'd give to us insight into your word. We're grateful for the word of God. <clears throat> Lord, the world will look at something like this and say it's impossible. And I will agree it's impossible but you do the impossible. So we thank you so much for doing just that. Doing that in the life of Elijah, doing that in the life of each one here represented that knows Christ as their Savior. We thank you for being a God that does the impossible. Lord, we just ask that you would help us. We need you. We praise you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen course, there is nothing impossible for God, so that word doesn't exist for him. But in the realm of mankind, it is impossible what he does, isn't it? But he is the God of the impossible. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we read about Elijah, the great prophet. And of course, Elisha is following after him. What an amazing thing to find a man of God that you can trust and follow him. It's an amazing thing. You may not know that yet, but it's an amazing thing. And Elisha is following after Elijah. He knows that if he just keeps following Elijah, good things are going to happen. Now, I know we're supposed to have evangelists in to say those things, but I did say it anyway. I think it's important that we follow our pastor. 
I think it's important. As long as he's doing nothing unethical or immoral, I think it's important to follow our pastor. Amen. I was trained that way. I was taught that way. I believed that way. Amen. I learned early on to follow my dad, whether I liked it or not. So I kind of learned the hard way. But here's old Elisha, and he's following after Elijah. Everybody knew all too well that Elijah was going to be taken up. The prophets, they say, hey, wait, don't you know your master's going to be taken from you? Elijah's like, yeah, I know. Come on, man. I've heard that before. Why do you think I'm following him? And yet, although Elijah's planning on being taken up, although he's waiting on the chariots of fire, although he's waiting for God to bring him back, uh, to take him up into heaven, you know what he's doing? He's still working. We find him traveling to Bethel, then to Jericho, then to Jordan. He's busy about the work of the Lord. To the very moment he's received up into glory, he's busy about God's work. What a tremendous example Elijah is to every believer today. He's waiting on the chariot of fire. But instead of taking a seat, he continues to stand and serve. Right to the very end, he is on the job. This morning in your Sunday school classes, of course, you... Recognize in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, your teacher spoke to you about, first of all, little children. Then they talked to you about fathers. And then they spoke to you about the young men. And we made that correlation, spiritually speaking. We made that correlation, practically speaking. We talked about how, in some cases, uh, biblically even, we look at the church and there's these three groups of people and we note that, obviously, First John, it seems as though he calls them little children throughout the book, so could he be talking about all Christians and every single one of them at all three levels at some point? I get all that, but I like to see that element of spiritual maturity and I recognize, even in the house of God, that there are all three levels present at any one given time, and so we see the little children, those that have been born again, those that have been saved, or those that haven't grown spiritually yet. There they are. And then we see those young men and there they are. The young men, they have grown somewhat. They have come to the place where they've grown strong and they've been able to oppose the onslaught of Satan and they can bear the weight and the burden of the ministry. And then there's the fathers and the fathers have lived a life surrendered to Jesus Christ and they've grown in grace and they've seen God work and they know him who is from the beginning and they are looking at God and they're gazing at God and they're leading the church but they do get a little bit older their bodies do begin to break down and they can't bear the weight necessarily of the ministry as they used to but you know there's a danger when we start talking like that because everybody likes excuses everybody wants to believe that well their day is done somebody else has to pick up the sword somebody else has to wave the banner somebody else has to do the fighting I'm going to tell you what, until you take your last breath, you are in the battle. Until you close your eyes and God wish you away, you've got to keep on going for Jesus. You can't give up. You can't slow down. You've got to keep on going. You may not be able to do cartwheels anymore. You may not be able to do backflips. And most of you never could do any of them. I know I couldn't. 
I used to practice. I wanted to be a gymnast bad. You know, it just seemed cool, right? Get to hang out with all the gymnast girls. That's cool. I wanted to do, you know, and you, I was young once. The, the iron, what's that called? Iron cross, baby. I used to do the iron cross when I was in 11th grade in gym class. It was amazing. And then I got thinking, I want to tumble. I want to be able to jump around and flip and do all that stuff. How many of you know what a kip is? You lay on your back and you jump up off your back. You know, I mean, I wanted to do that bad. I never could. I'd try to flip in the front yard or the backyard, and I'd take a running start and jump, and I never could quite make it. Man, that was painful. I wouldn't even attempt that today. I wouldn't even attempt that on a trampoline today. I may not be able to do what I used to do, although I never could do that. But there was a lot of things I could do physically that I can't do now. But I'll tell you this, I can do what I can do. Well, I'll tell you what, sometimes we come up with all kinds of excuses why we can't continue to serve the Lord while it's our turn to rest and relax. I'll tell you what, Elijah here, he's busy about the work of God right to the very end. Like any life, the life of Elijah was riddled with challenges and conflicts and combat. The devil, he is a worthy adversary, and he will fight you tooth and nail. He may not be able to steal your soul, but he can derail your service, he can render you useless as a believer, and he can steal your joy. Elijah faced some major, major obstacles. I mean, I believe he could, he could have easily, easily been derailed. And you and I face many obstacles as well tonight. And so tonight, I, I want to share three obstacles from the life of Elijah that you and I cannot allow to derail us. Three simple thoughts, okay? Three simple things that could derail us, cause us to get off track. And boy, I tell you, the devil wants you off track. First of all, number one, we can't allow foes to keep us from standing. We can't allow foes to keep us from standing. King Ahab, interestingly enough, he blamed all of his problems, every problem in the kingdom, he blamed it on Elijah. It's the man of God's fault. Take your Bible, look over 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. You're going to have those that will oppose you in your Christian walk in faith. You are going to have those that will not appreciate your stand for Jesus Christ. We, we live in a day and age where there's more hostility toward Christ-like, toward Christians than there's ever been, at least in my lifetime. It, it seems like it's becoming more and more of an issue. I guarantee you that if you will live godly in this life, you will suffer persecution, as the Bible says. 
And King Ahab here now, the leader of this nation, he is going to blame every single problem that he has on the prophet Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18, look at verse 17. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubled Israel? <laughs> is that really a question? I don't think he's really saying it like a question. He's just kind of getting a little bit of a dig in there. But he is blaming Elijah for every single thing that has transpired and gone wrong in verse 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Hey, listen, I'm not the problem here, king. You can blame me all you want, but if there's anyone to blame, you can look in a mirror, my friend, because the reality is, is that you're the one that departed from God. You're the one that discarded his word. You're the one that's gone into evil and continues to take our nation deeper and deeper into sin. If anybody's to blame, it's you, not me. By the way, you may be falsely accused, too, from time to time. Those things happen, don't they? We have to be very, very careful that we don't allow foes to keep us from standing. Elijah could have said, well, they think I'm on the reason why everything's a mess. I better just sit down and shut up and keep my mouth closed. I mean, I'm doing no good out here. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say, and, and obviously nobody cares. He could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't allow the foes, his foes, his enemies to keep him from standing. We continue to read and we learn something else. Now therefore, verse 19, send and gather to me all Israel unto the Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, and which eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah, so Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Again, we know the story, we know the situation, and we know that ultimately these prophets are gathered together. And we know, again, as we spoke this morning, there was a challenge made, and, and altars were built, and they were going to see who, whose God would answer first. And, of course, we know that Baal just didn't seem to show up. I wonder why. But the Lord showed up, and he showed off that day, didn't he? And fire came forth out of heaven and licked up that water. Burn up that sacrifice. The Lord, He is God. Boy, they were convinced then, weren't they? And so Elijah commences to killing them all. Good times. <laughs> you guys are really dead tonight, but let's... You ever wonder why God allows stuff like that to happen or why he commands it? You see, in the Old Testament, everything was very, very physical. It was very, you could touch it, you could feel it. In the New Testament, it's very spiritual, right, as a whole. You know the problem with us? We don't kill the sin in our life. We don't destroy the influences in our life that are there to destroy us. Now, what was going on in the Old Testament was a picture to us today in the New Testament. Those prophets of Baal were false teachers. They were peddling a false doctrine. 
I'll tell you what, we may not be called to go out and murder or kill as they were told to kill, but I can tell you this, you are to get rid of them out of your life. You're to have nothing to do with them. I just want to throw a little bit of uh, encouragement to you. Stay off the internet and quit listening to every preacher down the road and stop looking for somebody that agrees with your position doctrinally. You know that God gave you a local New Testament pastor? The last thing you need is Bible studies from this church and that church and every other church. Then you can compare notes and decide which pastor you think really has God's number. You better be careful with that. It'll bring confusion in your life, and God is not the author of confusion. Oh, I know you can handle it. But you better be careful. Let me ask you something. How would you feel if, as a parent, your children were going to somebody else, somebody else's dad for advice, and never asked your advice? How'd that make you feel? Hey, Mom, how would it be if they sought somebody else's mother to love on them instead of you? See, that's totally different. Hey, this is just one big happy family here. You better be careful. Be careful where you're getting your information. I think if this last year's taught us anything, it's that everything on the Internet is not true. We've learned that, haven't we? You better be careful. Well, it's a good, it's good, it's a good, he's a great pastor. He's a good one. It'll be good. It'll be all right, preacher. You be careful. I'm telling you, you better watch it. You are guaranteed to face opposition. That's all there is to it. You're going to face it. The Bible says, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Boy, that word soldier implies a lot of things, but I'll guarantee you one thing it implies is a lot of difficulty, much danger. Well, I'll tell you what, being a soldier is not easy. Talk to any of these men that actually been in battle, and I guarantee you they'll tell you there were sacrifices that had to be made in order to win the battle. We live in a very comfortable country. We live in a comfortable age. Everything has been handed to us on a silver platter. And you say, oh, no, it hasn't. I've had to work for everything I have. You go to a third world country and see how they live, and you tell me you haven't been handed the keys to the city. And our young people, if they're not careful, fall into this idea that everything's so bad and their parents are so mean and life is so tough. Are you kidding me? In America? Well, you just don't know my plight. You know what I know? Your opportunity. That's what I do know. You hear this? You know what that is? It's opportunity knocking. That's what we have in America. You say, I don't. Yes, you do. Oh, boy, do you ever. First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. 
You're going, to have, you're going to have some foes. You're going to have some enemies. But you can't allow the enemy or the foe to keep you from standing. Man, Elijah was not about to bend his knee to the, the prophets of Baal. He'll bend his knee to God, but that is it. And my friend, there's going to be enemies that are going to try to get you to sit down and shut your mouth and be quiet about Jesus Christ. My friend, you've got to hold the banner high. You've got to continue to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what, stand for Him. Number two, we can't allow fear to keep us from striving. See, the believer cannot allow fear, whether it is fear of mankind or whether it's fear of necessity, to keep us from serving the Lord. We just can't let that happen. You know, there's a natural fear that we all have, and that doesn't mean it's bad. It's natural. It's normal. I mean, you get around a stove and you can feel the heat. You don't want to put your hand on the burner. That's a natural fear. But then today it seems in America, as well as in the, in the church it seems, that we're afraid of some things that we have almost created ourselves. We've almost made up things. You know, it's funny, I was talking to Mrs. Rabideau today, and she was talking about soul winning and knocking doors, and, and her and her family have been going door knocking through this whole process. They, they even go door knocking without masks on in places like Stowe. Cuyahoga Falls, Amen. Newton Falls, places where people actually have jobs and money. And you know what she said? Nobody says anything bad. And nobody calls the church and complains. But I guarantee you, if I'd have polled this crowd just a few moments ago and said, if, you go, if we go to doors, it would, would you all support us going to doors without masks on, soul winning right now? We'd all, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, we get in some trouble. You get where I'm going? We make a lot of fears up. We create fear. Now, again, I'm not saying that we're going to go and be as reckless as they are. <laughs> but I'm telling you this, we make up so many fears, but we allow our fears now to keep us from striving. Instead of going forward, we say, oh, we can't do that right now, right? I mean, we know what fear has done to our country in the last year. We see what fear has done to families. We see what it's done to our economy. We see what fear has done to our world. Let me tell you, it works the same way in our churches. It works the same way in our lives. Elijah had just experienced and enjoyed one of the greatest victories of his life. He had seen the fire fall, and he had had a tremendous victory. But not long after, he finds himself running from the enemy now. And this is amazing to me. I don't know about you, but if you've ever read the life of Elijah, it just, it's mind-boggling. In 1 Kings chapter 19, turn there, would you please? Verses 2 through 3. It's mind-boggling. Again, he's just experienced one of the greatest victories in his entire life. One of the great victories in history. You say, how do you, why do you come up with that idea? Because it was recorded in the Bible and you'll never forget it ever. Because this word settled in heaven. We'll always be reminded of this victory. 
It's obviously one of the greatest in all of history. Notice what he says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 2 through 3. Then Jezebel sent in a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. What's she saying? She's saying, listen, I know what you did to those prophets, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, you let the gods do to me, and even more, if I don't make your life like theirs. If you're not dead, I'm telling you, I'll let, they can do that to me. I'm coming after you. No holds barred, Elijah. And when he saw that, that's interesting already, isn't it? When he saw that. I mean, didn't he hear it? It's kind of interesting. That'd be a good study right there, wouldn't it? He arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. Man, he went to running, didn't he? I mean, we're talking about Elijah, the man of God who prayed down fire from heaven that had a great victory over the prophets of Baal. And now he's on the run because Jezebel, the queen, said, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow this time. A gifted speaker by the name of John Christenstum was sent from Antioch to what was then Constantinople where he preached fearlessly in the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. His denunciation of the lavish extravagance of the rich and ruling class of that day and his condemnation of the excess infuriated many. I'm just reading that. I do not speak like this. Some of you are like, wow, our preacher just got very intelligent. <laughs> no, he didn't. He's reading it. Nonetheless, old John, he went from Antioch down to Constantinople. <laughs> he preached without fear, and he ripped on those people down there for their extravagance. And they were ticked off. That was the interpretation thereof. <laughs> he got a man, and I mean including the empress who arranged for him to be exiled. They were done with him. When he was told of his fate, Christensen, he responded. He said this. He said, what can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth and all its fullness is the Lord's. <laughs> Will it be the loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world. We can carry nothing out. Thus all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes, and I smile at all its good things. Poverty, I do not fear. Riches, I do not sigh for. Death, I do not shrink from. Again, in 1 Kings chapter 10, 19, as we arrive at verse 9 now, we read, And he came thither into a cave, talking about Elijah, and he lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
And he said, I've been very jealous of the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine holders, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. They seek my life to take it away. Man, that's something. Here's old Elijah. He wasn't afraid of anything when he faced those prophets of Baal. He stood there and he cried out to God and called down fire. And now we see him fleeing from the queen. We see him hiding out in a cave. And now we see him singing the blues. I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. You can almost hear him, huh? Now, I'm embellishing some. I'm not sure what he's, how he really said that, but I sure know he was hiding out in a cave when he said it. In verse 14, and he says again, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And I'm telling you right now, he's pretty far gone. We got some real problems with Elijah. I'm telling you, he needs a little medication because he is nothing but depressed right now. I'm going to get, I'm telling you this, if you are ever prone for a fall in the ministry, it is after a great defeat. I'm talking about a great victory, I should say. Go ahead, experience great victory in the ministry, and guess what? You better be very cautious and on guard for a tremendous fall. Better be on guard. And here we have Elijah who experienced a tremendous victory, and now all of a sudden, he is sitting at the bottom of the well. He's just looking up, trying to keep his head above water. But I'm glad that the Lord don't give up on us. Look, it says, the Lord finally sets him straight in verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. I don't know about you, but that's kind of an interesting phrase at the end there. Which hath not kissed him. I think that's interesting. Remember when Jesus was betrayed, what was the sign of betrayal? A kiss. I'll guarantee you there's something going on there with that Antichrist, too, when we look at that. We'll not go there right now. The Lord, he sets him straight. I'm telling you, fear has often derailed God's people. And in this case, Elijah is afraid. And he is on the run. And he's hiding out. And now he's over here talking about, I have given my life for God. I have done all I can to elevate and magnify the Lord. I have given myself wholly, completely, without reservation to Him. And here I am today, the only one standing, the only one that cares. And God says, no, you're not. You're not the only one. You're so short-sighted right now, Elijah. All you can see is yourself. See, the problem is you're looking in, not out. 
Can I tell you, when we get depressed, what has happened is we started looking in and not out. The Lord instructs, the Lord encourages him. You know what? He ultimately picks it back up and he gets back on the horse and he gets to riding again. At least he didn't stay down, right? He got back up. We can't allow fear to keep us from striving either. We can't allow fear to keep us from going for God. The Lord instructs Jeremiah, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, it says, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The truth is we're to fear no one. We are to fear nothing but God. Amen. And that's something. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Again, fear God and keep his commandments. Well, I'll tell you what, the devil wants us to fear him. The world wants us to fear them. And why is that? Because they want to cause us to be paralyzed with fear. They don't want us to move anymore. They don't want us to go anymore. We can't allow fear to keep us from striving. Amen. Have you ever been frozen by fear? You ever been, just been so scared you just kind of froze up? You ever been that way? I know I've never been that way either. <laughs> Seriously, have you ever been that? I mean, so scared. You just, <clears throat> I mean, if somebody had a knife, they'd have been like, come around the corner, you'd be like, they'd be just like, <laughs> I mean, instead of you like, what? you know, kung fu and all that, you just be like, huh, uh. I mean, just that quick, you know? Because you're paralyzed with fear. You're so scared you can't even move. You're like, you can't even yell. You come around the corner, and there he is. You're like, it's like, did you hear anybody scream? No, didn't hear a thing. Any witnesses? No, nobody heard, seen nothing. Because we get paralyzed with fear. And can I tell you what? That happens in your Christian life. You go to work and the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you about witnessing to your coworker, and you, and you get scared. And you're like, well, I could, but, you know, I mean, they got rules at my job about that stuff. I could lose my job. Who's lost their job lately for witnessing to a friend at work? And furthermore, maybe you should do it during lunchtime. You know, maybe not on the clock. That's a good idea right there. Maybe you could actually schedule a time to meet with them after work or something or, or go somewhere and, and, and have, have, have a sweet tea at McDonald's if they ever open. <laughs> but we do, we get afraid, right? And fear paralyzes us. You can't let that happen. So one, first of all, we can't allow our foes to keep us from standing. We can't allow our fears to keep us from striving. And number three, Something else we learned from Elijah. We can't allow failure to keep us from succeeding. We can't allow failure to keep us from succeeding. Of course, the most, one of the most well-known passages in the book of Philippians is verses 13 and 14. Go ahead and turn there. Chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. 
You know it well. We spent time on it through these last couple years, and what a powerful passage it is. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we understand doctrinally what that's referring to. We've already talked about it earlier in the chapter. We know for a fact that the Apostle Paul has outlined his credentials. We understand that he could be looking at his perfect Judaism or his perfect example of Judaism and his keeping the law for his righteousness. But he knows that's not what it's all about. So he says, I can't look back behind me. I can't dwell on the past. I can't allow that to be what I base my righteousness on. We know that doctrinally, but as a practical sense, we understand that if we are going to be successful and we are going to succeed going forward, we cannot continue to go look back on our failures and allow them to rule our spirit. Because there's not one of us that hasn't failed. There's not one of us that hasn't experienced heartache. There's not one of us that hasn't experienced disappointment. Every last one of us can look at our past and point to something or someone that's hurt us, harmed us, or hampered us. Every one of us could. Some more than others, but we all could. The Apostle Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, he says, man, I can't focus on that when I've got so much to reach forward for. We cannot allow our failures to keep us from succeeding. Theodore Roosevelt, he made this statement. He said, the only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. Edison, he spent more than $100,000 to obtain 6,000 different fiber specimens, and only three of them provided satis- proved satisfactory. Each failure brought him that much closer to the solution to his problem. His friend Henry Ford was right when he said that failure was the, quote, opportunity to begin again more intelligently. Again, Thomas Edison's manufacturing facility in West Orange, New Jersey, was extremely damaged by a fire one night in December in 1914. Edison lost almost one million worth of equipment and the record of much of his work. That next morning, walking about the debris, the charred embers of all of that effort and all of those years of research and work, in hopes All the dreams and hopes wrecked and ruined, or so it would seem. The 67-year-old inventor made this statement. He said, there is value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Now, we can start anew. Wow. 67 years old, he said that. I know a million dollars doesn't sound like a lot today, but in those days, in 1914, that was a lot of money. There's value in disaster, he says. All our mistakes are burned up. Now we can start anew. Boy, in the Christian life, I guarantee you, you're going to experience some failures. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to do some things. You're going to think, boy, what a knucklehead I've been. You know, all the best intentions in the world don't keep us from making mistakes when we're out there doing our best to serve the Lord. We're going to mess up. 
But you can't keep looking back at your failures. Otherwise, you'll never succeed in the future. You've got to get your eyes off the past and on the future and on Jesus Christ. We can't allow failure to keep us from succeeding. Elijah, he had so many victories, and yet he experienced some failures also. He found tremendous delight in serving the Lord, and still he experienced some disappointment too. His face was undaunting at times. It was undaunted at times. I mean, unquestioned. And yet there were other times the doubts simply flooded his soul. He stood ferociously on behalf of the Lord. But he could also be found wilting with fear at one point. So what are you going to allow to determine your future, your decisions going forward, Elijah? Will you focus on those past failures or will you choose to leave them in the past and focus on the future? See, that's the wonderful thing about our God today. The thing about our God is that he'll give you a chance. You can mess up royally. You can make the biggest of mistakes. You can choose. You can hurt people. You can harm people. You can destroy property. You can make a mess of your life and the mess of everyone and everything around you. And you know what? That's bad. That's terrible. And that's just unfortunate. But I'll tell you this much. He's willing to give you another shot if you'll just take him up on it. I don't even understand why God would let that happen in my life. I don't know why God would permit me to make those kind of mistakes. And yet I don't anxiously run out to make those mistakes. But my friend, maybe at some point in your past you did. And you hurt your family. You made some bad decisions. You harmed some other people somehow, some way. I'll tell you, we serve a God who loves us and is willing to give us another chance. Stop looking in the past and start going forward in success. It's amazing how many young people think they've already blown their life. I've already messed it up. I've already so far gone. No, trust me, you're going to mess up a lot more. But you also can avoid a lot of those mess ups if you just get on track with God and start serving Him the way you ought to. We use our past as an excuse not to do anything for God today. That's what we do usually. Well, you just don't know what I've done, and you don't understand who I've hurt and harmed. You know, if I got up there to sing, there'd be somebody from five years ago that would do what I used to be, and they'd point it out. It'd be a bad testimony for the church, bad testimony for God. You let us worry about that. You come and let me know what you've done that's so bad, and we'll see. You just may end up there anyway. Because, see, I know a God that's bigger than your past, and I know a God that's able to use you in spite of yourself. And if somebody wants to come and say, well, pastor, guess what? Back five years ago, I know brother so-and-so, he was a drunkard. And now you got him up there singing in that choir. I'm telling you, he's a good for nothing, nobody. I'd say, well, you're right. He is a good for nothing, nobody, and so are you. But Jesus saved everybody. He'll give him a chance. He'll give you one too, sir. No matter what you think about Elijah, no matter what you think about his ministry, The fact is, he was still serving, he was still standing, he was still striving to the very day he left this world and was taken up into glory. That's success. That's succeeding. May God help you and I to be equally committed to the cause, determined to succeed and faithfully serve him to the very end. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You'll never do anything for God that's a waste of time. You know, it, there's, two, there's two roads that every one of us can travel every day of our life. You know, we, we, well, I've already made a decision to go on this road. I know, but you'll have to make that decision every day. If you stop making that decision consciously, just one day you may end up on another road and not even realize it. You have to say, nope, I'm going the right way today too. I'm going the right way. I'm going the right way today. Oh, I made a decision back then. I chose for myself, just like old Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. I made that choice, but I'll tell you what, every day I'm tempted to take a wrong turn, and I'm not. Today I'm choosing once again, all over again, to follow you, Lord, and to love you like nobody's business. He's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our commitment and our devotion. Give him your best and serve him your whole life long. Never quit, never give up, never stop. God, help us to face our foes and stand. God, help us to face our fears and strive. May God help us to face our failures and succeed. He will and he can if we'll let him. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Elijah, do you regret working right to the day God took you home? I mean, Elijah, do you regret giving it your all to the very moment that the chariot showed up? Do you wish you'd have taken a little time to relax and Work on yourself and become the best you you could be. I think Elijah, and I'm confident he'd say, best decision I ever made, just to keep on going till the chariot came. And I want to encourage you to keep on going till he comes for you. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. We are 